Money, money, I want more money. True bear markets are like water torture. They just drip, 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 and they just drive you insane. Need a little help understanding the current investment environment? Yeah, whereas a correction is more of like a sharp punch to the face Correct. or something. We'll take you to the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and Wall Street. Yeah, there you go. Buy high, sell low is my motto <laughs> on all of these things. Search for the Politico Money Podcast wherever you listen. With me, Ben White. I have failed many, many times, but I'm not failing right now because I've kept at it. And I wish more women had people behind them and side by side with them telling them to keep going for it. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. Greg Renfrew is doing something not many business owners like to do often. She's actually asking Congress for more regulation of her industry. See, Renfrew runs the company Beauty Counter, which is dedicated to natural personal care and cosmetic products, beauty products that pride themselves in not having a ton of artificial chemicals. Renfrew has spent a lot of her career with lifestyle brands, including Tommy Hilfiger and Martha Stewart. So she knew a thing or two about business. When she branched out on her own to start Beauty Counter, she wanted to pave the way for companies to sell products like lotions and makeup that kept the consumer's safety in mind. And now she wants the laws to catch up. We talked with her about that fight, how she's currently lobbying Congress, and what motivated her to start an entire company based on those values. Stay tuned for our interview with Greg Renfrew. On the podcast, we'll be bringing you real talk with women bosses, asking how did you make it and what advice would you give a woman looking to lead? If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at APalmerDC. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now, our interview with Greg Renfrew. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know you're a very busy woman running your company, Beauty Counter, based in Santa Monica. You're on Capitol Hill to meet with senators to basically ask for more regulations on cosmetics and personal care industries. That's a very rare thing in Washington to actually ask to be (laughs) regulated. Uh, What do you see as the problem? It's funny you say that because, yes, it is rare for someone to be asking for regulation over their own industry. But yesterday marked the 80th anniversary of when FDR put into place the most recent legislation that we've had governing our industry. So we have a $62 billion industry that's highly... I would say woefully underregulated. And so we are advocating for cosmetic reform to put some standards in place that would protect the American consumer. Where are you or where's Beauty Counter compared to the, a lot of the rest of the the world of beauty? I mean, there's so many different companies. Have you guys banded together or are you kind of an outlier trying to get more regulation? I would say that Beauty Counter is a pioneer in our field. We were the first company to really take a, a meaningful position on cosmetic reform to try to lead our industry to a better place. We've done that alone, but we've also done that with other companies. And in uh, September of last year, of 2017, we did create the Counteract Coalition and partnered with a number of organizations that some might think were our competitors, but we think are allies in our fight for cosmetic reform. So what exactly are you hoping to change about these products? What I'm hoping for, what we are as a company are hoping for, is that we begin to regulate and screen 
ingredients before they go into the products that are put on the shelves. So first and foremost, screening is really important. And also for the FDA to have the ability to take action when a product is known to have harmful ingredients in it. Under our current legislation, the FDA does not have the ability to recall product. They're, they're sort of rendered powerless. And so for us, we look to other countries uh, and organ- places like the EU where they've banned or restricted almost 1,400 ingredients. We've banned 30 in the United States to date. And we're hoping that we look at chemicals and classes of chemicals that could potentially be harmful to health and get them out of our products. So how do you see that translating when myself or, you know, women in general are going to a store to buy beauty products or are buying beauty products online or from, from your company? Today, under our current legislation, you as a consumer go to a store and a couple things might happen. One, you are left to try to figure out how to decipher a bunch of chemicals in the back of of a product and try to figure out whether those are safe for you and your family's health or not. And that is something that we think that the consumer should not have to figure out how to navigate these murky waters. So it translates in that way. I think also under current legislation, companies are able to market themselves as pure or natural. There was a recent article on a number of products that were in the market that were aloe Based products, and they found that not a single one of them had any aloe in them. So the the consumer is left um, is confused and is often marketed to in a way that is not authentic. And so we want that to change, and we want transparency on ingredients, and we want safer ingredients. So what are some of the products that you're most personally concerned about being in in our makeup? I think it goes well beyond makeup, and I think some of the products that we've been particularly focused on have been things like sunscreen. You know, we've recently um, been working on, you know, creating mineral-based sunscreens that are not only, you know, ingredients like oxybenzone that are not only harmful to health, but are also harmful to the coral reefs. We focus on that. We look at products that are putting, you put on your skin that stay on, that are, you know, your body lotions, your uh, foundation, you know, all of those things that either contain, you know, high levels of heavy metals or things like parabens and phthalates. I think as a consumer, uh, if someone's listening to this and trying to figure out, well, what what steps can I take? I think we always say, if nothing else, shop the market fragrance-free because so so many of the most offensive ingredients are in fragrance, which is why we don't use synthetic fragrances. What are the forces you're going up against? I mean, you mentioned this law hasn't been changed since 1938, right? Correct. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of people who are on the other side of this. But what is, who, who kind of is your biggest opponent on this? What are, what are other people in the industry saying? Interestingly enough, given given the current political uh, climate, I think that there is bipartisan support for cosmetic reform. I think that the work that Senator Feinstein and Collins have done with the Personal Care Product Safety Act and now with Chairman Alexander and um, Ranking Member Patty Murray, I think they're members of both sides of the aisle can agree that we need updated um, and meaningful legislation. So I think now we're at a place in time where people are talking, we're about 95% of the way there towards a safer, more comprehensive bill. And I think that, there, we're, so we're not really up against anyone specifically. I think we're now maybe looking at details and, and hoping to move something forward in the, in the, in the near future. Talk about your personal experience. I mean, you're you're from California. You're coming up on the hill. This is obviously a very different place than that, pretty uh, buttoned up. What has been your experience lobbying Capitol Hill? It's been a real learning curve for me. I, you know, I, I actually grew up in New York City, but I've been in Santa Monica for the last ten years. Uh, we moved out there uh, for for jobs and. 
it's it's always nice to be home on the East Coast. I can say that. I love it on the East Coast. You know, you know I always feel incredibly confident in business conversations because I always know the landscape and I know all of the terminology. But I think that what's been interesting is that it is much like business in that there's always compromise and you're always everyone has an agenda and you're trying to you're trying to move things forward to the to the greatest building. It, it is about rallying people. And so I always say no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. And I think that's not dissimilar, you know, to what is going on here. But I'm always trying to learn the ropes from others. I find it fascinating to be involved. And I hope, you know, in some small way I can make a difference. Have you been involved in politics before? Is this kind of your first real kind of an, an entree into into Washington and politics and lawmakers? This is my first time in in being involved in in politics and in Washington. I've is, I have had friends and colleagues who've been involved in the past, but for the past four years, it's been you know it's been a big part of my life. And you know when I started Beauty Counter, I didn't set out to just start a beauty business. I really wanted to create a movement. I really wanted to change the world. And in 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 doing that through meaningful legislation. So it's, it's a, at the core of who we are and what we do. And so it's become a part of my life. Well, let's switch gears a little bit about kind of how you got here to this movement that you're trying to create. We take a lot of lessons here at Women Rule from discussing the backgrounds and career paths of the women we interview. Uh, so let's go back a few years. Uh, you've spoken a lot about your experiences with your family and that helped, kind of how it helped shape you. Your father was a Wall Street banker. Your mother was in real estate. But after they divorced, your family had some financial difficulties. Talk to me about your family and what really led you to that entrepreneurial life. As you said, my father was extremely successful early on on Wall Street and then and then wasn't. And that changed our family's financial situation drastically. On top of that, my father was diagnosed when I was 14 with cancer. And so on top of having – on top of an industry changing, which we see happen all the time – which made his job, rendered his job basically obsolete. He also was ill. And so my mother was forced to go to work to, um, in a very meaningful way, not just dabble in work, but really support our family. And I think from day one, my parents, you know, instilled in me that in order to be successful and to be stable in life, you need to work really, really hard. One of the things I think my parents did for me that I appreciate so much the greatest gift they gave me was the gift of confidence that I could do anything I wanted to. And I'm constantly telling my children and other women, because we women in general often aren't told that you can do this and you should go for it, whatever that is for you. And I think that, you know, being, you know, while by most standards I had a very wonderful and privileged upbringing, you know, it wasn't always easy. And I think seeing my parents struggle financially and seeing my mother work incredibly hard to support us made me want to be you know, excellent at business and wanted to, to lead other women and, and help them understand that, you know, with hard work and perseverance and a little grit, you can do it. You really can. Talk about that, though, the financial difficulties and that kind of that at an early age. How did you get that courage to take the leap into entrepreneurship, which is risky at best, right? I mean, so many women we talk to who are entrepreneurs talk about how hard it is to raise money, how hard it is to convince people, you know, to get on that cycle. And you've done kind of this in a couple different businesses, were you always just pulled to entrepreneurship or is that something that kind of came as, as you built your career? I think when I, if I think back to being, you know, in college, I wanted to go around the world on this trip. I really wanted to see the world and I didn't have enough money to do that. And if we were talking about this last night over dinner that 
many of us, you know, which, which isn't always common today, worked our, I mean, I worked from the age of 11 straight through college. You know, I always had side gigs. I always had waitressing jobs. I mean, I had to. I had to support myself. My, I was lucky enough to have a debt-free education, but that was as far as my parents were going to go. Any spending money that I had or anything I wanted to do beyond that was up to me. And so I think it instilled in me that if you want to get something, you have to work for it. And so as such, I think I just became entrepreneurial out of need because I wanted to do things that weren't uh, weren't accessible to me financially without my figuring out ways to be creative and make money. So you had this internet startup, The Wedding List, which was an online bridal registry, and you sold that to Martha Stewart in 2001. You were also CEO of Tommy Hilfiger's children's retail group, Best & Company. Walk us through those career milestones a little bit. What were some of the challenges in those spaces? I assume there were many. <laughs> So many. Well, I'll start with the wedding list. I think that you, you spoke earlier about women struggling to raise capital and to be taken seriously in the financial world in general. You know, I was young. I was in my mid-20s. When I started the wedding list, I had been exposed to a concept in England, and I thought, wow, this could be really incredible to create wedding registries online because why would anyone want to go to the store? You know what you're comfortable spending. That said, it was ahead of its time. People had no idea. No one had ever shopped for a wedding gift online. So people looked at me like I was crazy. And when I went out to raise capital, men immediately just their eyes glossed over the second that I was talking about weddings, even though it's a, you know like a 35 or $40 billion industry. It's a, it's a very lucrative industry. But that was challenging for me. And I was, I was sort of young and naive in many ways, but determined. I think that that experience was both incredibly it was wonderful in many ways because we were extremely successful, but it was also extremely disappointing because at the end of the day, we sold to Martha Stewart prematurely because our financial partner got, became spooked during the dot-com blow-up, and we were forced to sell. And I think the wedding list would be a daily, you know, would be a household name today had we not been with the wrong investor. So I learned, you know, in that way that you really need to be very careful in your choice of financial partners. It's incredibly important. And then I think with the with with Martha with Martha Stewart, that part of it. Oh, sorry. So and then I sold it to Martha Stewart, which is a whole other other story. I can talk to you about that for hours. I mean, you know, very powerful woman, very challenging to work for. Um, you know, lots of respect for what she built back in the '80s and '90s, but very difficult. And I think I learned, you know, we women aren't always really nice to one another. And I, she wasn't the nicest boss, and so I had to learn how to navigate her, which was very, very challenging. When I moved on to run Best & Company, I would say it was the greatest failure that led to my greatest success because I was fired by Susie Hilfiger um, in front of my team as a CEO because she and I were not seeing eye to eye. And I learned how to be a little bit, I think humility goes a long way in business. I think understanding how to work with creative people is incredibly important. And you know what? You are going to fail at times. And I, that was, you know, an incredibly embarrassing, horrible experience. But I became stronger and wiser, and it led me to where I am today. Talk about that that kind of experience. So many women have it, right? Either, the, either it's the fear, fear to fail or it is they experience a massive failure and, like, getting back up on the horse, right? Whether you're in politics or you're in business or you're in media, that's kind of like a common theme we all have. What did you do? I mean, were you just like, I'm going to take my white wine and like sit on the couch for a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> or... I, mean, I, do have a, I had a good cry. It was, I was fired right, right at Thanksgiving break. It was like the day before oh, Thanksgiving. Man. And I definitely, I'm sure I drank way too much wine. Um, you know, I, I think that I took a moment. I mean, I, I was going through a difficult time um, anyway, personally, because my, um, I was a full-time mom and the woman who helped support us, our family in terms of taking care of my daughter at the time 
um, was diagnosed with uh, a non-HPV-related cervical cancer at the age of 31. So I spent the next 10 months of my life trying to save her life. And that really also, I think, was instrumental. It, it was a very meaningful moment in my life, and it led me to my exploration of why, which is le- which led me to Beauty Counter. But I did take a moment to look back and to try to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong that led me to getting fired? What did I do well? What did I do wrong? And I think at the end of the day, you are 100% going to fail if you're successful in life. There's no way that anyone gets to the top of any, whatever the top is for each individual. No one does it without failure. And so for me, there was no question but to get back up because my mother had told me from day one, you, you pick yourself up and you get back out there. And I do think we as women are are often, we, we often are paralyzed by our fear. And that goes back to the lack of confidence. But I'm here to say that I have failed many, many times, but I'm not failing right now because I've kept at it. And I wish more women had people behind them and side by side with them telling them to keep going for it. Talk about so you you take your kind of your the moment uh, where you're going through this kind of personal crisis and obviously that's awful. But you started Beauty Counter in 2013 with this intention of having personal a personal care company with was really conscientious about the products it used it was kind of ahead of its time, right? Yes, it was. Uh, did you have an aha moment that motivated you? Was it was it from this you know your your partner's cancer or you know was there a beauty product that led you to say this should be better? It really started for me that that happened that my the woman Cindy that I worked with there that worked with us um, passed away in in uh, mid two thousand and nine. I think that it really started for me back in two thousand six when I watched *An Inconvenient Truth*. I became impassioned with the environmental health movement. I started to make changes in my life. I started to realize we were doing things that were truly detrimental to the earth. Over the subsequent few years, prior to, to 2010 when I started working on Beauty Counter, because it took us a couple years to get into the market, I started doing a lot of research and started paying attention to the fact that so many of my friends were getting diagnosed with different types of cancer, giving birth to children with health issues, struggling with fertility. I think it was all of those things happening concurrently over a couple of years that led me to wonder, what is it that's making the earth sick and us sick? And the one thing I could point to was our exposure to toxic chemicals. Tell us about the business model for Beauty Counter. It reminds me a little bit growing up of like Avon, my, my, my aunts doing selling products kind of out of their homes. You have how many consultants nationwide? Just about 30, a little over 30,000 right now, women and men, but mostly women selling our products. How did how did you create that as the business model instead of like, okay, you had already done an internet company, we're just going to be online or we're going to find a big retail partner? I knew that we had to be online. We knew that we had to build a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, and we've done that on beautycounter.com. I also knew that women, in general, want to touch and feel product, that they want to be able to match a tinted moisturizer to their, you know, to their skin tone. And I knew at the time, I mean, even today it's challenging, but seven years ago it was really difficult to conceive of just purchasing all your beauty products online. I also knew that on a macro level, the consumer market was shifting and traditional department store distribution of beauty products and other products was really waning, if not over already. And so a friend of mine said, have you considered building direct-to-consumer through you know, a, a group of women. How, how about mobilizing women and, and taking best-in-class attributes from that traditional direct selling model? And my immediate reaction was, really, I don't know anything about direct sales. But when I was able to peek sort of under the hood and look at it, I thought, well, this is a really powerful business model. We have a mission. Women mobilized can move markets. 
women are across this country are struggling to make ends meet. Why not afford them an opportunity to put meaningful income into their families? And that can mean anything from $50 a month to $50,000. I mean, it really, that's different for every one of us. But how do we contribute to our families financial, financially while simultaneously being part of meaningful change? And that has been a recipe for success for us. We do go direct to consumer through multiple channels because we believe that today's consumer demands that of us. But the most powerful channel we have is our army of women. And so was that were you able to keep the prices lower? I, we talked to Tamara Mellon recently, who is the founder of Jimmy Choo, yeah. and obviously now has her own company. And she, her big thing was cutting out retailers so that like she could bring down the cost. Was that something that you also looked at? It wasn't something for us. You know, one of the challenges that we've faced, uh, and hopefully this will change over time, is that safer and more natural ingredients come at a significant premium. And people often ask us, they'll say, well, your products are expensive and they are a premium price point, and we're working hard to bring those prices down. But the reality is for us is, you know, I can't even get raw materials for the same price that people are putting the end product on the shelf, if that makes sense. It's yep. just, it's more expensive for us to do it. And we do pay a significant commission to our independent consultants. I like, though, putting the, the money into the hands of the women who are selling and who are advocating for cosmetic reform rather than putting it into a traditional department store. Yeah, talk about this this kind of army of women that you have. They have become pretty important in your advocacy uh, efforts with the FDA regulation. Talk to us about how you prepared these consultants. How did they, did you like automatically turn to them to say, hey, you're going to be the person who should come up and, and talk to your local lawmaker about this? Most of the women that join us, about 75% of the women that join us, join us because of our mission. And most of them have never been in sales in any way before. So for them, it is about the mission. And we spend time, and I, my partner, Lindsay Dahl, and I, who runs all of our advocacy efforts, you know, really focus on arming them with bite-sized pieces of information and asking them to share openly and transparently their stories. Why is this important to you? Why do you believe that we need cosmetic reform? And it's very personal. And what we've been able to do is mobilize these women and our entire client base, so our community at large, around this issue on both the state and federal level. So we've twice now taken 100 women to Washington with us, two delegates from each state, to represent their state to talk about why this is important at a state level. But then also this year we hosted about 1,200 other meetings on our five-year anniversary on the state level and actually in, ca in Canada, in all the provinces in Canada, to talk about why this is important on a state level as well. How have you organized your company? One of the things we talk a lot about, you have this army of women who kind of are putting your product to market but have you purposely thought about what the demographic is of, of women or of consultants or what they look like? We have been working very hard on making to make sure we at Beauty Counter, we've been very focused over the last couple of years of making sure that in the corporate offices and at our community at large, that it looks like the face of the nation today. And that has not been easy. You know, historically, direct selling companies have really been, you know, focused on a sort of middle-income white woman across the country, you know, right. we believe that the world has changed. And as a leader brand, we need to make sure that we look on the inside like the world looks like on the outside. I want to switch back to talking about politics and policy. Uh, let's talk kind of generally about the Trump administration um, and the FDA's Scott Gottlieb. I know Congress is your target right now, uh, but you, how have you found working with this new administration on these issues? Well, I haven't been working directly with the president, <laughs> so um, I haven't. I think that people have felt that uh, Scott Gottlieb has has been um, 
consistent in terms of their, I don't think there's, they've anyone seen any erratic behavior or anything that has been extremely alarming. I think that we all know that the Trump administration has been focused on sort of undoing regulation and we are, you know, trying to increase regulation. So I think that goes against, um, in general, what the administration stands for. But that said, I feel that we have bipartisan support. I think that everyone believes that it is time for cosmetic reform. And, and it's interestingly enough that even in these uncertain and somewhat crazy times, it seems to be moving forward. So I feel hopeful that we're going to move this bill forward and that we will see uh, a, a great first step towards more meaningful legislation around cosmetics. What's your take on celebrities like Kourtney Kardashian was uh, recently up on the Hill um, taking up the cause of uh, beauty regulation? I think it's always great when powerful people can lend their voices to causes that they believe in. I So I applaud Courtney for joining our troops, so to speak, in terms of uh, making sure that the world knows that there is a need for cosmetic reform. I think, uh, I think that there are lots of people talking about this issue now. And as long as people are talking about it and actually walking the walk, it makes me really, really happy. I want to talk before we end uh, about your future and look towards the future for you and for your company. What's next? What happens after this kind of first step? Are there other things that you're already starting to look at that where you think legislation is needed? Right now, I'm really focused on building Beauty Counter. We have done a great job to date, but we have a lot of work to do. And so, you know, I think that I'm going to stay the course in terms of hopefully seeing, you know, the first step in, in legislation or sort of reform, legislative reform over the entire beauty industry. That said, you know, we will immediately then look to supply chain issues. I mean, there are so many issues that we face as a company trying to create safer products on behalf of the American consumer that we've only just begun our efforts. And I think I have a long road ahead of me. I am wholeheartedly committed to making our industry and our country safer as a result of our efforts. And it's going to take time. And I'm committed to con- committed to staying the course to make sure we get safer products into the hands of everyone. All right. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Women Rule is produced by Rena Flores. Dave Shaw is our executive producer, and our booker is Jessica Andrews. If you're a fan of the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. We've got a ton of great guests coming up, so hit that subscribe button, and thanks for listening.